Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And welcome to episode 208 of Geek Town Radio. I'm back this week with... Matt, how are you doing? I'm good, David. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. So what have you been up to? It's been a few weeks since you've been done. Yes, it's been a little, little bit of time, but uh, everybody sort of went on a break at once because... Uh, yes. Becky went on holiday, then you went on holiday, and then yeah. uh, things just kind of happened. So, but I recently this week started playing a Mario game, which is something you you wouldn't usually hear from me. Uh, <laughs> I don't like hate the character, but it's just not my preferred yeah. type of character. I basically tried the now Nintendo gave it this name, so don't blame me for the complicated name. It's called New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, and it's basically the combination of the Mario and the Luigi game, I think, from the Wii U, or some sort of packaged version with DLC and all that sort of stuff. Right. This, was a, this is a Wii U game, uh, hence the U that's probably on there right, for that reason. Yeah, yeah. And it's called Deluxe because that, that's the... It's not a... I don't think it's a port. I think it has gone got some sort of graphical upgrades and like some changes, but not like a full remaster kind of thing. Mm. It's been quite fun. It is kind of frustrating though, although I'm used to frustrating platformers, Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it is a case where like you go to jump on a turtle or something and then you think, okay, if I jump on him and then you jump again but land on the other side, his shell will be shot the other way and I can use that to kill the other enemies. And then you go to sort of run and jump over something or even just normally jump and then you slightly mistime it and you you turn into the small version of of mario or luigi or or, or right. some of the others yeah and then like you think oh i'll quickly try it again i can easily jump on this guy's head you end up jumping into him and then you die you start level again so there is that sort of frustrating Ooh, thing but yeah but it's both fun and frustrating which again i'm used to because of crash bandicoot but <laughs> uh, i'll continue to play it and see how far i get so yeah because uh, i don't know how big the game is either uh it seems to be fairly big so I'll yes, how I'll get, get along with it. Usually are those. I've, yeah. I don't play the Switch anywhere near as much as I probably should do. I've had one for a while and I don't know, there's something about it. I just don't play it that much. But then I don't play consoles that much either, unless it's a console exclusive, you know. So, right, yeah. Uh, so that's been fun. I'll see how I get on with it. Uh, speaking of Crash Bandicoot, he came back again with another remaster. Uh, this one was uh, Crash Team Racing, or it's called Crash Team Crash Team Racing Nitro Field because it combines the sequel, which was called Nitro Field or Nitro Kart or something. I, right. I didn't play any of that back when that was released, uh, but I played some of uh, Crash Team Racing. Basically, what it does, it takes some of the characters and some of the maps uh, and puts them in a Crash Team Racing game, um, but it doesn't include any of the Nitro Kart stuff because that was the stuff that was you know criticized and they didn't want to put that stuff in the right, game they basically, okay. they basically found the way to put the good stuff from nitro kart into crash team racing and make that a bigger game 
Um, and then you've got like the adventure mode and you've got uh, Grand Prix and stuff. And it's it's quite fun at the moment. So I've heard a lot of people saying there's online issues with PS4, but I haven't played online yet. So I haven't experienced any of those. Right. Again, it's the same thing where you could be doing really well. You could be driving really well. And then you bump into a wall and Cortex drives past you. And then you've kind of lost the race at that point. Yeah. Some people say, oh, you know, you don't always use Crash Bandicoot and you should use other characters. And I sort of said, uh, I think last week on my podcast, like I, I only want to race as Crash Bandicoot because yeah. I don't want to win, win the race as Cortex or exactly. uh, Dingo any of these other characters. Um, but I get the, the point, which is, some, you know, some characters are like better with speed, but some characters are worse with turn or whatever. You can also put like these... Like different outfits and different skin uh, things yeah, on the characters, the, but that yeah, I, I've just kept with. Crash Bandicoot the, the same. And I, I change his car every now and then again, though. So yeah, uh, that's been kind of fun. Um, but yeah, that's that's been all right as well. I'm kind of jump trying to jump between the two of them. Like when one gets really frustrating, go over to the other one and and see how I how I get on with things. <laughs> so uh, the Wire season three, I started it. Uh, I think I started on Saturday. I'm about five episodes into season three at the moment. I've seen obviously season one and two. Uh, I think about a few months ago I came on the podcast and said I was yes. halfway through season two. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm back up starting with uh, with season three. And season three really starts off kind of with, um, I mean, the streets of Baltimore have always been like, you know, crime heavy and all that sort of stuff, hence all the police work and everything that happens in the series. But it starts off and there's seemingly this like gang war that's kind of happening. Yeah. And obviously Omar's right in the middle of it because he's one of the one of the big names in, in the streets of Baltimore. Because it shows you like, okay, life on Baltimore and then life of what the, what the police are doing and how different things are. And it's a interesting kind of perspective and again hbo and the wire and everything it's uh very uh, prestige television i suppose yes. you could call it so that's been the wire season three and then superstore finally came back on uh itv2 uh, i think it's an nbc show I yes think. it is an nbc uh, show weirdly yeah. while i was in america i was in the superstore oh, okay. <laughs> we went around universal and because uh, i was on the vip tour they uh, actually let you off the car and to wander around the back lot a bit and one of the places they take you into is is the you know live sets or sets that are sort of currently set up and being used and and the set that they actually took us into was the superstore set mm. and it's it's so weird wandering around the set because it is literally like wandering around a supermarket because usually yeah. with those sort of places they don't put things like ceilings in because they have lighting rigs above and stuff right. and yeah. you know they're not usually as self-contained you know you you'll have like a you know a set on three sides and then there'll be an open wall or something it's literally done as they they take two sound stages which are next to each other they've knocked them together it's one massive set for and and it is a supermarket inside it's that's basically it and the shelves are all stocked obviously there's not food and everything although there are foods in, in some things like you know if you've got clear bags of dog biscuits and stuff right they have yeah. to have bags of dog biscuits because you need to be able you know you can see what's mm, inside any sort of see-through container yeah, stuff yeah yeah so yeah. you need to be able to see what's inside that causes a slight problem because they're in the middle of area which has wildlife in it and the raccoons will get into the uh will get into into the superstore set oh and uh, and pull the bags open because we were wandering around and we were like is this set up for something it's like no the raccoons have just got in and uh, they've ripped open some of the bags of dog biscuits and you can see little raccoon paw prints on the floor where they've kind of <laughs> grabbed the dog biscuits and run off it was uh, quite yeah. cute but uh, hmm. yeah that was that was really fascinating because i've i've been inside a few sets b before now and i've 
never actually seen one that's set up quite like that. It's a really interesting setup there. Yeah, I think they use, uh, for some reason, I didn't notice it until season two, but in Good Girls, where they shop normally, uh, the other NBC show, I'm pretty sure that's the, the cloud, because it's called Cloud Nine, the, the shop. Yeah, it uh, could very well be, yeah. I, I think mean, it's the same one. So, it, it wouldn't surprise um, me, because if they've got it set up already, it would sort of right, make sense. The same network and all that. Same yeah. network, same back lot. It would make sense to dress, mm-hmm. like redress a few bits, and then you know because it's a superstore set. So you know. yeah, you don't you don't see the same characters. You see like extras yeah. or whatever wearing the wearing the outfits and that. But I'm pretty sure it's the same store. So. Yeah, would make sense. Uh, but yeah, superstore is just just it's just a fun show, and they often uh, you know they have sort of like a pre scene and they have their intro, and then every now and then they'll cut over to a customer just doing like weird stuff, and it's just like okay, is anyone going to catch this man or woman doing this this weird particular thing? <laughs> But yeah, they've changed a couple of roles around and they've pushed a couple of characters into like further into their sort of relationships and stuff. I don't want to say what those yeah. characters do because it will, it will be a bit more spoilery. Uh, even though it's for a sitcom, it will still it will still sort of ruin the surprise of what happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting some of the stuff that they get up to and you, they still do the thing really well of having a through line for a story, which is mostly what the characters are doing. And then having like, you know, the odd like thing for that week sort of happened. They're still quite good at putting that together but no it's been a good season so far i think it's been renewed for season five um yes and uh, be interesting to see i i've heard i i saw little bits and pieces on youtube like months ago that said the ending of season four is like darker than usual so i'm interested to Ooh, see what that means because okay. they've, they've had like um what's it tornadoes and stuff near the store that have like ripped it apart or whatever in i think in in the previous season or maybe in this season so i'm interested to see what that is basically so, yeah interesting um, yeah, I've got three episodes left. It will be finished. It's on every day as well because I checked. Yes, because I oh, didn't right, know if it was okay. on a specific day, but it's actually on every day. Right. Um, but yeah, that should be interesting. So. Yeah, should be good. What so, else have you been up to? I've been trying to catch up on things that uh, I'm got behind on while I was away. So, uh, Killing Eve season mm-hmm. two, I've I've started. I'm a few episodes into that now. It's it's not as well written as season one, um, and that's probably due to the fact that uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridger isn't writing the second season, I don't believe. So um, it is missing some of that. It's just not quite as good for the second season, which is a shame. But I mean, I'm still enjoying it. It's It sort of continues where, literally where the last season left off. It's, it's pretty much a straight continuation. Um, yep. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, I'm not as impressed with the writing this season. Finished Designated Survivor Season 3, which I really enjoyed. Um, I'm really struggling with this season. I got to episode 5, I think. Right. It was it was the two-episode slot they did with the like controversial child marriage stuff. Right, I got yeah, past yeah. that, and then they did this other episode for something else, and then I was like, this, this isn't working. And then Jessica Jones was there, and then I was really in the mood to watch that, so I uh, started that. I, it's interesting because it has changed quite a lot. I mean, unlike yeah. some of the other shows, yeah. like Lucifer, you saw a few tiny changes, but, you know, because uh, both Lucifer and Jazzinated Survival were shows recu- rescued by Netflix last season. Mm-hmm. And um, Lucifer, you saw a few tiny changes, but it was essentially still the same show. Designated Survivor has gone through some fairly large shifts in direction this season. They've kind of abandoned quite a lot of, of that conspiracy theory plot Mm. it is still in there although i mean arguably they don't actually line up until the end of the season and up until that point it's almost like you're watching two shows that are mashed together Um, (laughs) because they are like it is like they're in a completely separate show uh the um the the characters on 
on the one side and then you've got like the the sort of west wing stuff and then you've got the the stuff that's the fbi cia characters sort of chasing down this potential terror threat but they are like they're two entirely separate shows that have just been pushed together it does eventually culminate in something but it's kind of weird that and the um stuff that's at the white house has gone very much more west wing you know there's a lot more walking and talking it's a lot swearier than it has been in the past um (laughs) there was an interesting thing they've been doing which is using when when they're talking about a particular issue which is you know reflecting life in america and they're talking about something like they they talk about trans issues or they're they're talking about drug abuse or that sort of stuff yeah what is quite interesting is a lot of the footage they're doing of of you know because it's a campaign season you know kirkman is trying to get himself re-elected and they're showing campaign ads and stuff and when they're showing ads the people that they're interviewing are genuine interviews with uh, they sent out documentary makers and have merged that in so the people, the talking head bits that you see of, of people talking about various issues and problems are genuine. Uh, those are genuine people that have dealt with whatever the issue is they're talking about. So I thought that was kind of interesting how they've merged that in. Uh, and it does add this sort of different level to it. going to be interesting to see how that's gone across because I suspect there are going to be a lot of people that are quite polarized by it in, you know, like you say, you've been struggling with it. I mm-hmm. actually quite enjoyed it, what they've done, but it is quite a switch from the first and second seasons. So I, it will be interesting to see what the numbers are like and whether they bring it back again after that, because it has taken this sort of sharp change of direction. So I don't know. I, I am enjoying it, though. Uh, I did enjoy that season quite a lot, but who knows whether it'll come back. You know, Netflix has a habit of cancelling things after three seasons, so I'll have to wait and see for that. <laughs> I caught the first episode of Wild Bill, which is the ITV drama starring Rob Lowe. It's about this American police chief who seems to have left America under some sort of cloud, although it's not entirely sure at the start what exactly has caused him to leave. He's come to the UK and is in Boston, Lincolnshire, which apparently has the highest murder rate in the UK. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. I've not looked it up. But uh, that has the most homicides in the UK. That was the sort of argument for him being there. and that, Which, of course, compared to America, is nothing. It's like five, ten people a year or something compared to America's statistics, which are going to be like about 40 times that. So it's sort of interesting to see. I mean, Rob Lowe is eminently watchable throughout it. It's quite funny. It's quite dark in places. It's a really interesting mix of a sort of American style drama kind of dramedy mixed with an ITV drama, which is sort of what you'd expect from it. But it's it's odd to watch, but quite enjoyable. I've only seen the first episode so far, so I will watch the rest of I think it's only six episodes in total, so uh, it could be quite interesting. And I don't know whether they're going to bring back that back for any more because Rob Lowe has or just signed a contract to do the 911 spin-off called 911 Lone Star oh, yeah. in the yeah. US so that's obviously going to be taking up his time but given that this mm-hmm. is only six episodes it's chances are he could film more seasons of this on the off season you know so he could do he could do the 911 Lone Star thing which will, might be a 10 episode could be a 22 episode season 
and then he could do this in the intervening bits. So we'll have to wait and see. But I thought it was it was different and interesting and funny and yeah. So so uh, yeah, worth going to watch. I think. And Jessica Jones, which I've started. I'm only a couple of episodes in. Um, pretty much what you expect from Jessica Jones. I, I think um, mm, interesting yeah. start to it. Hopefully, it goes out and it ends on a high because this is, of course, the last of the Marvel Netflix series. We'll see how it goes. There's been conflicting reports out there about whether you know, she she apparently made some comments about whether she'd come back and she sort of initially apparently said that she didn't think she'd play Jessica Jones again she sort of thought she'd done it now she then sort of went back on Twitter and said she would play Jessica Jones again in a heartbeat she's the coolest character I've ever played and I love her uh, you never know what the future holds as for now I'm proud of the long run and deep character work I got to do it's been a dream so never say never uh, which is slightly different to what she sort of said earlier she sort of was saying mm. oh I thought I, I think I've kind of done with it possibility that she could have misspoken and said maybe like because even though it's a possibility these shows could end up on uh, you know another Disney owned thing yeah where that is there's, that's not a guarantee I suppose so maybe she meant like okay no one's really sure what's going on right now and I think I'm finished yeah um, but if she if she's then turned around and said like I would like to play the character again to me that just means she doesn't know if she will but she w- would want to I suppose that's sort yeah, of I mean, how that the, came across maybe the initial thing was I think she said do I think her a player again I don't think so uh, I feel like I've played her you know I feel really good about it i feel good about closing the door was what she originally said so i you know it's one of those things if it got revived in a few years i'm sure she'd come back mm-hmm. I, it, yeah. it, it sounds like from what she then said on twitter it sounds like she maybe had a word with her agent and then went back and, so, and sort of said you know of course i'm playing again so we don't know whether those are ever going to come return or not there is a possibility they might but obviously all the actors are out of contract now so it will depend what they're doing mm-hmm. when the time eventually comes that they can you know disney are allowed to actually put them on other channels which you know we've, we've talked about many times before this yeah, they have to wait for that, that exclusion to expire yeah yeah there's an exclusion mm-hmm. in the contract with Netflix uh, that that is like two years long or something before they can air it somewhere else. So it's a long time, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. So they may pop up somewhere else at some point, but mm-hmm. at the moment we don't know. Uh, yeah. However, I've I've finished season three. I think I finished it like a week or two ago. Pretty good. It does still have the Netflix marble problem of like, okay, this should probably be ten episodes instead of thirteen. Right. And some things do get a little bit stretched out, but for the most part, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. And I, I like the villain for this season. I won't spoil anything else see about that but better villain than than last season so although the villain situation last season was a bit more mixed and complicated so yeah um you've got more of a sort of killgrave type where it's clearly more of a villain than less sort of like anti-hero in a way i suppose so right okay um, yeah i enjoyed it it was pretty good so that's all the stuff we've been doing this week let's move on to some tv and film news So we kick off the TV and film news this week with renewals, cancellations and pickups as ever. First one is uh, one that I know Matt's been waiting for for a very long time for news of. Scream Season 3, the TV series, has finally got a US air date. Uh, They've moved it on the networks in the US from MTV to VH1. At Mm -hmm. the moment, it's unclear whether it's coming to Netflix UK because Netflix UK have the first two seasons of it. It would seem probable that they're going to run the third season, I think, but 
it depends on very much on the contracts behind the scenes. The ba- basically, I mean, this was filmed years ago, and it's been sat on a shelf because it was involved with its the Weinstein Company, and it was tied up with all that stuff that happened after everything, all the accusations against Harvey Weinstein, which resulted in the company collapsing. And it was tied up with all that. And it wasn't exactly clear where the rights were going to end up. It's also not entirely clear exactly who Netflix UK had the deal with. So we mm-hmm. don't know whether that deal has now ended and they might have need to sign something new, whether they, they had a deal for Scream Season 3. It would sort of make sense that now the rights have landed somewhere and that's all sorted out then it would make sense for Netflix UK to pick it up seeing as they ran the first two seasons but they haven't come out I don't think officially one way or another as far as I can see to say whether they are airing it or not Um, if it does air I think as you said previously it's likely to either go out next day or go out as a box set after the entire thing has aired in the US I think a box set is probably more likely in this case because they're running it out nightly yeah so three night event two episodes per night for three nights there's six episodes yes so So i i think they're probably more likely to drop the whole thing as a box set just wait the three nights out and and drop the whole thing if they are going to air it but that's an if Mm -hmm. at the moment we don't actually know yeah so a quick little timeline on this the last episode that was shown was the Halloween uh, special for October 2016. It was then renewed um, and everyone was like, oh, cool, we're getting Audrey and Emma and every, everybody else back. And there's this whole Brandon James cliffhanger thing, like a mini cliffhanger, but still a cliffhanger. And then they said, yeah, MTV said, yeah, we're going to renew it for, for a third season. It's going to be six episodes. And everyone kind of thought like, oh, this is six episodes to, to wrap up the current story. And then like a few months later, they said, oh, okay, we're going to reboot it. And everyone was like, wait, what? Why are you rebooting the, the whole series? <laughs> and then, um, so I was like, oh, so we're never going to see Emma and Audrey and all these other characters again. And then MTV just basically didn't say anything because they knew that they'd annoyed the fans a lot. Trust me, because I remember the time when that happened. Yeah. Because uh, I've been following this ever since it happened, so I know most of the details. Uh, they started filming the season and then, then they said the ghost face would be coming back because they hadn't used the, um, yes, the voice they- and they hadn't used the mask for season one and two. So, so all the fans were like, cool, even though this is a reboot we're getting Ghostface back everyone likes that and everything yeah. so I think it was in the original films because they did yes, four screen films yeah. uh, they put that out filming finished in November 2017 and it's now June sorry it's now July 2019 Yes. So that tells you how long fans have been waiting for stuff. And there was combined total, there was at least a year of silence. There was a period when the fans sort of stopped talking on Twitter and were like, oh, we think this thing's just, you know, because of yeah. all the stuff with the Weinsteins, this thing is like dead, not coming out. And uh, everyone was sort of mourning the loss of show that had actually been filmed, was out there. It's not like this thing had not yeah, been cancelled or renewed. Yeah, it's just sat on a we, shelf, yeah. We weren't sure if it was coming back. Yeah, it was, just, it was out there, which was the annoying thing. Um, so yeah, it should be exciting to see like, what, what these new cars members are going to bring to Scream Season 3. The, the teaser trailer's out there. If you search for Scream Season 3, uh, there will actually be a trailer on the, on the internet. So Yes, yes, there uh, is a trailer out there. Uh, at least we know the show's actually going to be on in a week. So Yes, um, yeah. well, yeah, in, Ameri- in America yeah, it is. In America it will be, yeah. So <laughs> it will finally be on a public screen in a week. So. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what, if Netflix UK pick it up and if they do when it turns up, but they've kept very quiet so far. Uh, I have seen one story saying that it, it's supposed to be coming soon afterwards, but I can't confirm that anywhere. There doesn't seem to have been anything official as far as I can see. So it may be one of those series that just pops up. It's going to be a case of keeping an eye on the social media feeds and we'll have to wait and see what happens. Staying with Netflix, there was an interesting story which has popped up in a few places just today. Uh, Mm. Neil Gaiman's Sandman, which is a DC title, looks like might be coming to Netflix as a series. Sandman is is a comic book, a DC comic book. It's one of his most acclaimed things. It's been floating around in development limbo for a very, very long time. I mean, literally decades. There's been various versions of films or TV shows kicking about. It was uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt who was supposed to be doing a film version that was announced about three years ago and uh, then he left the project over creative differences with dc and there was um, adaptation in the works even before that so it's been kicking around for a while what's kind of interesting about this is gaiman himself has a overall deal with Amazon. Okay. But the overall deal with Amazon is for Gaiman's original work, which is is going to be either adaptations of his books or new things that he comes up with. Sandman, I suspect the reason that this can potentially go to Netflix is because it's controlled by DC. So that's right. why. I mean, you would have thought Amazon was the natural home for it, given that Gaiman has a in there already. But uh, it sounds like that it might be going to Netflix if they manage to pull it off um there's various stories around saying they're close to signing a deal so it's not like all signed properly yet but it's sounding relatively positive that we might get a sandman series we'll have to keep an eye on that i saw this like popping up on obviously social media and stuff yesterday i was like oh dc sandman obviously sandman a popular uh marvel villain yes yes and I was like, oh, is there going to be like a... Because I didn't see the, the DC at first. I was like, oh, are they going to make like a, a Marvel villain series for Sandman? That's that's kind of strange. And it was like, no, Neil Gaiman's DC Sandman. And I, I was like what is this thing? And I looked it up and I looked up images and stuff and I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen this thing before. So I'm interested to, to find out a bit more about it. It's uh, Sandman charts a long poetic arc over its original 75 issue run that followed the adventures of Morpheus, Lord of Dreams, a member of the pantheon of immortal beings called the Endless, who personify certain universal concepts that along with dream include death, desire, destiny, delirium, despair and destruction. It's a sort of thing about various gods, which you, as you know, Neil Gaiman does very well. So, uh, yes, it's it's an interesting, interesting concept. It's a very complex, quite dense comic book. It's something that would never really have worked as a film. So a TV series is always the better way to go. I just found it kind of interesting that it may yeah. end up on Netflix. I mean... Netflix is the type of company I think that would sign this purely to spite Amazon, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so maybe, yeah. So uh, I, yeah, we'll we'll see well, we are, if they we do. are in the uh, streaming wars, as they call them now. Well, so, yes, with yes. everybody getting their things on the way in the office, leaving. Everybody's devastated about the office leaving the leaving Netflix. So yes, yes, um, yes. The office is leaving Netflix in in the US. It's going on to um, is it NBC's 
own streaming yeah, service. Yeah, NBC's streaming service. Yeah. Which... So, yeah, so there's that. Uh, also on Netflix, there's an adaptation of another graphic novel. This one is called The Old Guard, but it's actually coming out as a movie version. Uh, the Old Guard is a graphic novel by Greg Rucker. It tells the story of a small covert group of immortal mercenaries who must fight to keep their team together when they discover the existence of a new immortal and their extraordinary abilities are exposed. Sounds like kind of an interesting setup. They've announced some casting for it. It's Chiwetel Ejiofor, who um, you'll know from various different things, such as Doctor Strange, uh, where he played Mordo. 12 Years a Slave, obviously, is the big movie that he was in. He was also the operative in the uh, Firefly oh, movie, Serenity. Yeah. Uh, he's voicing Scar in the live-action Lion King, and he's popped up in things like The Martian and Maleficent Mystery for Evil. So there's a whole bunch of different things he's been in. But uh, fabulous, fabulous actor. So uh, yeah. that's a really good start. Uh, Veronica Engu, who starred in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny. She was also in Star Wars The Last Jedi, where she played Paige Tico, uh, sister to Kelly Moran Trans's Rose. She also appeared in Bright, the uh, Netflix movie. And hmm. uh, Harry Melling, who most of you will know as uh, Dunstan Dursley from the Harry Potter movie franchise, although looking at him now, you would never, ever recognise him because <laughs> he's lost an awful lot of weight from that chubby right. guy. That we They've all saw. aged and everything. So. Yes, all aged. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's lost an awful lot of weight since uh, playing that character in uh, Harry Potter. He was recently in the Coen Brothers movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs for Netflix as well. So um, uh, they've also got Charlie, Charlie Theron in there, Kiki Leia, uh, Marwin Kenzera, a few other people as well. So um, yeah, interesting, interesting. Another comic book adaptation coming as films. They seem to be, Netflix seems to be kind of jumping on things to either develop as films or as TV series from the comic book world, which is kind of intriguing. Um, mm -hmm. so. I, I think with them continuing to adapt comic book stuff is actually kind of important going forward because seeing as you know Disney's going to come out with Disney Plus yeah. and they're going to have obviously a bunch of Marvel and Star Wars stuff which is going to still dominate the market I mean it is already if you look at the cinema right now and this year like I'm sure 60% of it is Disney films um, yeah. so with Netflix they, they do need to kind of look out there and still make like original stuff they're still good at doing that obviously but looking at other comic books that people read because there's tons and tons of comic books out there they can continue to adapt so I think if they're going to do that as well as like their own original series and some other stuff it, it's uh, going to help them out a bit not that Netflix is in any danger because no. there's still tons of stuff to watch on there so no. um, we'll see I how mean, things go yeah and you've got your know, competition from, like we said from Amazon because they've now got mm -hmm. all, all Neil Gaiman stuff yeah Lord um, of the Rings and that yeah you've got yeah. Lord of the Rings coming and uh, they've got a whole bunch of other sci-fi things that they're developing you have got Miller World over at uh, Netflix as well because they bought M Mark Miller's Miller World so they're adapting yeah. a whole stack of his stuff into various different series and movies so there, there is a lot of uh, comic book adaptations out there which is all good yeah. as far as we're concerned <laughs> Is, it, is that thing that upcoming thing, is it called Dark Crystal or something oh yeah Dark, Dark, Dark something I saw the cast list for that the other day and that, that looks incredible yeah so, the cast list for that is, is absolutely insane I mean yeah. it's all voiceover work because Dark Crystal as I'm right. sure many of you will know is puppets it's uh, it's a Jim Henson thing so mm -hmm. uh, it's a prequel to the movie which you know the, it's a sort of classic film the voice cast for that is everybody from like Lena Healy to Mark Campbell to I mean there's a there's just this huge ridiculous long list yeah. of names that are anybody who's anybody seems to be voicing something in that <laughs> um 
So, so yeah, also, that's good. By the way, there's also a game coming out for the Switch soon. Oh, is well. there? Yeah, they announced oh, it at the uh, Nintendo Direct, so look out for that. I can't okay. remember the release date, they said, but that's coming soon. Okay, interesting. Um, oh. And over on this side of the pond, Macy Williams is going to uh, star in a Sky One original comedy called Two Weeks to Live, which is a comic tale of love and revenge born from a seemingly harmless prank that goes terribly wrong. A uh, series of roads involves around Kim Noakes, a strange young misfit who was just a little girl when her father died under murky circumstances. Following his death, her mother whisks her away to remote rural life in seclusion and a bizarre survival techniques now all grown up kim sets out in the real world for the first time to begin a secret mission honoring her father's memory meanwhile socially awkward nikki isn't good at impressing girls and when kim walks into his and his brother dave's local pub it sets in motion a chaotic series of events that puts all their lives in danger who would have thought that a few drinks and an ill-judged prank could go so violently wrong? The setup sounds very much like that sort of comedy drama thing that Sky One seemed to do quite well. Right. Um, and Macy Williams, it would be nice to see her doing something other than Aria. So, yeah, I've been no other casting announced for that yet, but I thought that was kind of an interesting one. Yeah. Do you think that could have the type of feel of like Bounty Hunter? Maybe I, that I sort rather of suspect, angle of comedy? Yeah, I rather suspect it's got that sort of Bounty Hunter feel to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is being pitched as a comedy, but I, it's, it reads like a comedy drama, so we'll have yeah. to see. Moving on to uh, larger news stories, it's a lot of video game things this week. Um, yes, good. I'm happy about this stuff. Yes, so. <laughs> Final Fantasy is getting a live action TV adaptation, which is an interesting one. Have you played the Final Fantasy games? They're not ones that I've particularly played. I played about two hours of 15 and right. none of the others. So not not too much, basically, no. But right. I will be trying the uh, Final Fantasy VII remake when that comes out. Right, okay. Ne next year, maybe. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, Final Fantasy is a ridiculously popular gaming franchise. Oh, yeah. um, Final Fantasy fourteen, I think, is the online one and that seems to be the basis for the television series it's a live action series tells an original story set in the uh, fantastic world of Eorzea based on Final Fantasy 14 the franchise blockbuster online role-playing game that has sold more than 144 million units worldwide across three decades uh, first debuted in 2013 it's inspired directly by the world and characters of the 14th installment uh, project will embrace the bold and generous bending sensibilities of the rever revered and long-running Final Fantasy series as it explores the struggles between magic and technology in a quest to bring peace to a land in conflict. Filled with iconic hallmarks of the title's revered mythology, uh, the forthcoming series will feature a mix of new and familiar faces. Those will notably include the live-action debut of Sid, one of the game's central most beloved characters who has appeared in almost every installment of the franchise to date. I don't know anything about this world uh i i, I don't just... either to, to be honest so um i'm still excited for this I, i've kept saying for like weeks and months on my on my podcast about the witcher and stuff and about how you know all these video game films that keep coming out and not only are they not good it's the case that you know when you have two hours or two and a half hours it's just not a long enough time yeah to be able to tell these kind of stories so if you have like eight ten thirteen episodes or whatever uh and you have more time and you get to season two three four whatever it just gives you a lot more time to tell, tell a story especially something like Final Fantasy which has got a lot of lore and characters and depths and stuff yeah. uh, and something like The Witcher as well uh, same kind of thing um, it, it would be like imagine if so now that Game of Thrones
Thrones is finished now. It'll be like if you tried to put the eight seasons of the show into like a trilogy of films, you're just you're gonna miss some stuff there as well. Yeah. If they came out with like a, a Final Fantasy trilogy, you still wouldn't be able to tell as much story as you could in a TV series. And I just think TV is gonna be a better format for adapting yeah. games. And the first of which should probably be The Witcher, which hopefully comes out later this year. Yes, um, it is been a bunch. Of, yeah, and there's been a bunch of other announcements about like Showtime doing a Halo series, which which makes yes, sense as well. Yeah, that's coming, uh, and some other ones which we'll get to here in a bit. But yeah, I'm excited to see how all these TV shows get adapted, and I will be trying out all. See, even stuff like Final Fantasy, which I haven't played, I still want to watch the TV series just to see how they adapt things to the screen. So yeah, um, looking forward to it. Yeah, the moment they haven't actually given where this is going to end up. Um, it's yeah. been it's in development with Sony and Hivemind who are the people behind The Expanse and The Witcher and Square Enix as well obviously the the game development company we don't know exactly where this is going to end up Amazon Prime and Hivemind have a deal in place so it's possible it may end up there but as with Sandman this is obviously the license to this is owned by Square Enix and Sony, uh, I guess. So, although Hivemind have a deal in place with Amazon, it's not their license to sell. So, mm-hmm. although they're developing it, 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 that probably means it could get sold to pretty much anywhere, but likely it's going to be one of the streaming services that take it. So Amazon is a possibility, but Netflix may be a possibility as well. We don't know at the moment. We'll have to see where it ends up. Assuming it works and it goes to series, of course. Right, um, right. Yeah, you know. they're just put in development. So. Yeah. Over on USA Network in the US, they have also ordered something which is video game related called Masters of Doom. Uh, as you might expect, that is about Doom, the classic first-person shooter game. Although it's slightly different. It's not going to be a TV series based on the Doom video game. What this is, is the story behind the scenes of the creation of the game, because that in itself is quite an interesting story. Uh, It's the uh, true story of two computer geniuses in an obscure corner of America who, along with a group of rebellious misfits, created one of the biggest franchises of the 90s, the video game Doom. Uh, John Carmack and John Romero were best friends who became bitter rivals as they created a video game empire and transformed pop culture forever. So um, if you've ever seen, there was, there's been quite a lot of things about the rivalry in the early days between Apple and Microsoft. And there was, there was quite a big TV movie that was made about that as well. Um, it had that sort of feel to it. Hot and Catch Fire, I think, uh, is, is probably an interesting touch point, which is a show that went out on Amazon in the UK. So it's kind of intriguing. They're envisaging this as an anthology series with each season focused on a different pivotal moment in gaming history, which I find rather exciting as well. Mm, so the, That's kind of cool, yeah. So it may, although they're calling it Masters of Doom, that only seems to be related to the first season. So whether it's going to be something, something Masters of Doom, like American Horror is American Horror, whatever yeah, and it is. and it changes its theme or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So whether this is going to be something Masters of Doom, I don't know. So it's going to be an anthology series assuming it works and they move forward with it it's only a pilot at the moment that they've ordered it's been written by tom bissell who serves as the exec producer as well uh he was a writer on gears of war battlefield the brilliant uncharted franchise uh he's also various books including uh why video games matter co-authored the disaster artist which was the uh the book that was the basis for that film he's written a bunch of short form 
fiction as well. So it's got an interesting writer about it that, that who obviously knows quite a lot about video games. So that that seems like a fairly good start. I like the idea that they're sort of delving into the actual culture rather than just taking the the Doom franchise and kind of trying to turn it into a tv series which mm-hmm. given that doom was i mean you know it's a classic first person shooter but there is quite a lot to it i guess but it's not something i particularly want to watch as a tv series you know it's fun to go in and kind of shoot things but it's not necessarily i'm not into those sort of horror things so i it's not something i particularly want to watch but i'm sure mm-hmm. there's many people out there that would yeah. uh, but the the story behind it, the sort of development stuff, I actually found quite geeky and interesting. So uh, th- that I'm quite intrigued by, particularly if they have it as an anthology series and they're going to look at other video game things behind it as well. Interesting one, that. And lastly, we have uh, Channel 5 are teaming up with PBS Masterpiece for a new adaptation of All Creatures Great and Small. Um, so changing tack quite drastically with this story so uh, uh, for those of you that don't know and are too young to know like matt um right the yeah. original uh this is based on the james Herriot classic book series or creatures great and small the original book series was um written by um veterinary surgeon alf wright under the pen name james Herriot. uh followed the heartwarming and humorous adventure of young country vet along with his unconventional mentor and cast of farmers and townsfolk who lived and worked in the yorkshire dales in the 90s 1930s. However, the place where most people will know all creatures great and small is uh, from the TV adaptation, which ran from 1978 to 1990. It was a huge, huge TV series. Uh, starred former Doctor Peter Davidson, uh, Christopher Timothy and Robert Hardy in that. Channel 5 and PBS Masterpiece, who are the uh, the drama bit of PBS in the US, the public broadcasting service, have teamed up together for this new take, which is supposed to arrive next year at some point seems to have been a fairly mixed reaction to this idea of of them remaking it because as i say a lot of people know it from the tv series it was very beloved as a tv series and with that original cast uh that all those i think all three of them i mean peter davison certainly still around christopher timothy's still around i think robert hardy's still around as well so you could potentially wheel some of those in for maybe some cameo roles if not sort of main parts you could have whereas peter davison and Christopher Timothy played the younger vets you could maybe having them playing the older vets in this version I mean it's Channel 5 and we've spoken at length about our opinion of Channel 5 on this uh, podcast but Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to see them get into these sort of dramas it's been written by Ben Ben Vanstone whose previous work includes The Last Kingdom Merlin EastEnders it's been directed by Brian Percival who was uh, he's lead director who's also worked on Downton Abbey so I mean they've got some reasonable names behind it uh, one of the producers of silent witnesses in there uh, so i think that they're probably going to do a fairly decent job of it the estate of sort of all creatures great and small the books and stuff are now controlled by the children and they're very very protective of the father's work so i suspect they would only have agreed to this if they thought that they were going to do a decent job of it but we'll have to wait and see how it turns out see when when a story like this comes up and channel five uh, evolved in something it's not i try to hold back of the like channel five judgment itself but the other question that pops up is like it's hard to tell how much money someone like channel five sort of has 
Because yeah. like when you go, when you look at the bigger networks, obviously HBO, Netflix, Amazon, all those sorts of things, and something gets announced for them, you know, you know that there's a bit more money there. And yeah. like, but then when you go down to like Channel Five and stuff, it's like, okay, how, it, it's hard to tell how good something like this will be from from them. Yeah. Um, Plus, it just seems like they've, because they've been basically a reality channel for so long, it's, mm. it's just hard to tell how good they are at doing things anymore, if, if you get what I mean. so I mean, they do commission some original drama, but it's, there's not a lot of it. And whilst mm-hmm. there isn't, I suspect there isn't that much money floating around, uh, the fact that they've partnered with PBS, which again, doesn't have that much money because it's a public broadcast service, but partnership together and the fact that it's not going to be that expensive to shoot because it shoots in the Yorkshire Dales and it's about a bunch of vets so it's not necessarily going to be horrendously expensive to shoot but because I don't want to keep turning around and going oh it's Channel 5 they're bad it's Channel 5 they're bad it's just hard to tell how good this is going to be because I'm not sure how good Channel 5 are at doing things at the moment that's all so yeah, yeah. so um so it's coming next year, just so you're aware, really, and uh, mm-hmm. know to look out for it if you're a fan of the original, but uh, or yeah. if you if you like vets, maybe I don't know. We'll, we'll have to uh, see where it, you know, how it how it uh, ends up and uh, when it actually lands. But we'll see. So that's all the news we have for this week. Next, we have the interview. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The interview this week is with Ruth Barrett, who was composer of uh, one of the biggest shows of uh, last year, Bodyguard. Uh, she's also worked on a whole bunch of other things, um, uh, City of Tiny Lights, uh, the Harry Brown movie starring Michael Caine, S.J. Clarkson's Toast starring Helen Bon Carter, Collateral, which was another huge BBC drama. Uh, she also works on Victoria, the Jenna Coleman series on ITV, and The Durrells, starring Keely Halls, which of course is coming to an end soon. So I got to talk to her about a whole bunch of, of different things. She's a British composer, um, really, really fun and interesting to talk to. I it was it was strange. I was actually in America when I did this interview, and she was in London, which makes a change because it's usually the other way around. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, here's the interview with Ruth. We will see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV. Start by saying it's lovely to have you come on and talk about your work and the fact that, I mean, you've got a CV, which is ridiculous. And I'm sure most composers will kill for. Because <laughs> I mean, you've got, I mean, Bodyguard in itself is, is a show which I think a lot of people would love to be involved with. But then you've got Victoria, Collateral, The Dorals, Critical You Did, uh, Whitechapel Hunted, Love Nina, Toast. Just a ridiculous amount of things on on there and I mean don't get out much Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Where do we start? I, I guess you start with Bodyguard because that was the main well, thing. Well, that was the hit 
<laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of hits no, they're on all that. Good shows. They're, they're, they're all brilliant shows. But I mean, it was just unbelievable how successful, you know, how many people watched it. I mean, I knew it was a brilliant show when I first saw the, the first edit, the first assemblies of it. I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. Especially the, the first assembly of the train scene was just phenomenal to watch. I yeah. just... I, I just couldn't breathe watching it. And I'm like, okay, so I don't need to do much music for this. It's working really well. But of course, it wants music. And then it was like, what can we do to make it even worse than it is, you know, even <laughs> Yeah. Is? <laughs> Which is, I love doing things like that. I just love, like, how can I make people feel really scared? Yeah. That's just a real, that's a really, that's just such a fun thing to do. So it's a really fun job. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get into composing in the first place? Yeah, I mean, you know, in the 80s, I kind of grew up in the 80s with things like Freddy Krueger and Poltergeist. And I think I've always loved those kind of um the the music was always really powerful in those those kind of films and I think I just I don't know if I was aware of it consciously that that's what I wanted to do but I definitely used to love I used to love watching adverts as well you know things like a martini advert and ah uh, yes like really good tunes and things like the Incredible Hulk. I used to love. I remember I used to crying. I used to cry at that tune. That, that's, <laughs> that down the road. You know what? We occasionally use the end theme of the Incredible Hulk. The sort of da 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 da. The, the walking, the sad Hulk music. <laughs> and I think I was about like five or something when I saw that. So things, music used to really affect me. Yeah. Especially TV music for some reason. And so I think it's always been with me. And then I guess I didn't really start writing music till I was about 15, I guess, because I met a professor, this mad Welsh, amazing guy called Cyril Lloyd. And he kind of sent me off. He, He told me I should go to the Academy, the Royal Academy of Music and study with him. I, on the Saturday, which is what I started doing. And then I just started writing this music and had an amazing piano teacher as well. And we used to improvise on classical pieces like the Rite of Spring. And we used to just take little riffs from it and then mess about with the riffs and just play music and just make up pieces in the moment. And I guess that's what really triggered off. That's how I write still, actually. Right. It's like I just mess around and I just sort of play things along with the picture and then just record stuff. I never press record. I just capture it afterwards, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like, if that was any good, or even if it was really rubbish, <laughs> there might be a tiny bit of it that, that's got something. Because it's almost like you're not really thinking too hard about it. You're just kind of letting something fly in, letting an idea fly in. You know what I mean? When you, t- yeah, you yeah. <laughs> If you put yourself on the spot, then it, nothing comes out. If you're thinking too hard. Yes, yeah. Um, and then I went off to Cambridge. I did a music degree there. But um, that wasn't so great, I have to say, yeah. um, for inspiring um it was all a bit quite quite an academic course. But the good thing was that you could do all this music for theatre and music outside of the course. And I met loads of really great players and I did a lot of work in theatre. And I think that's what sort of kicked off that idea of writing for a narrative and giving something an atmosphere. And I was just hooked on that. So when I left, I'm like, that's what I really want to do. But it was there's so many different things you can do in music, like documentaries, dance, films, drama, and you like, uh, and it's really hard to know how to get into, like, how do you get into that sort of thing? Mm. And if you don't know, if, if your dad's not Steven Spielberg or whatever, <laughs> then how do you, how do you meet the the people? You know, mm. um, so yeah, I did a variety of things like temping jobs to 
just get in record companies and, and eventually ended up in ITV and started working there. And I met my husband, now husband there, who was an engineer. And, and I started sending demos to, to people in the edit suites and got jobs <laughs> like that. <laughs> and then I met an amazing composer um, after a few years, like through, I started working in a recording studio second job and he asked me to go to a session of his which was um a, a period drama and so i so i heard an orchestra playing along too it was north and south and i just absolutely fell in love with the music that he'd done and the pictures and just like get a grip <laughs> like, this is what you need to do get on with it and and he asked me to write start writing like shadow writing some of his projects and that's what really got me onto the drama yeah. department and he's like a mentor I guess so everyone needs somebody like that in their lives and for me there's been a few key people who've sort of unlocked the next level and and then you have someone who believes in you then they can usually persuade <laughs> the people like the directors to hire you you know and you mm. haven't done much they go, yeah, 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 it'll be fine and if it isn't, they kind of vouch for you so that's what he did which was really amazing actually so that's how the so i've worked with martin on quite a few jobs and then you know and that's how i've started to get my own jobs hmm. yeah so it's like one thing leads to another you know once you've got one then usually if you don't completely screw it up then <laughs> somebody <laughs> in the production might want to hire you again you know? yeah that mentoring thing seems quite common and, and popular particularly with the composing world in the there's yeah. you know that quite often you'll you'll find that uh you know somebody's gone through either the, the there's a massive school in santa monica for Hans zimmer where they kind yeah. of cultivate right. all that sort of stuff yeah all right in teams now and you yeah. know groups it's collaborative yeah and then there's there's blake nearly as well who does the um all the tw superhero shows who started yeah. out as a sort of single thing with people ghostwriting some of the stuff or assistant composing and now if you look through all the credits on that they're all Blake Neely and somebody else who've been there sort yeah. of pretty much from the start but they've they're yeah, but now co-crediting yeah. you have to work up to getting co-writes I think and yeah. I, it has to work well because you know you need a few things under your belt before I think you can kind of claim something like that yeah because um, it's quite a different thing to be the one in the hot seat who's actually yeah what ass is on the line yeah you know to share that with somebody else is yeah it's yeah. a hard one to yeah. do yeah yeah once you've earned your stripes then yeah fair enough but <laughs> <laughs> totally but it's really well yeah i've collaborated with other composers like on victoria and on the Darrells, uh i co-write with john wygan so it can work really well and it's really it's fun it makes it more fun because often a lot of the time you can be on your own and when when the shit hits the fan you know it can be a lonely place there's been lots of t-shirts ripped phones thrown on the floor glasses <laughs> thrown on the floor and stamped on like oh no why did I do that now I can't actually see the computer <laughs> you know tears right irate conversations with directors sometimes it's it, it can be really fraught but fun but so if you've got other people around then it can make it slightly easier to deal with yeah no totally you have to thick skin in this job you know yes that i think that's very true i mean some of the particularly working in tv may, maybe less so in in the uk but certainly the us network tv when they're doing like 22 episode runs and and you're yeah. sort of you oh, know the pressure the pressure on that must be insane so uh it's 
the schedules with the American stuff. They think the schedules are so much tighter as well. Yeah. So there seems to be reams of execs, you know, when you look at the credits of things, you're like, oh my goodness. Are they all going to be on a conference call at 25 of them? <laughs> yeah, that, that must be horrendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't been in that situation as of yet. It's usually one to three people who've, who've got you by the, by the throat. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, presu- presumably <laughs> that's, that's the directors and producers. I did notice um, yeah. SJ Clarkson pops up quite a lot on your, yes. on your projects. Yeah, who- is fantastic. I've worked with her since Whitechapel was the first job right. that worked with SJ on. And then we've worked together several times since. And she works in the States an awful lot. But in the States, the directors don't tend to get to choose who to work with, even if they're, they're directing the first episodes, which she often does. She did Jessica Jones. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's usually the showrunner who's who makes those decisions. And yeah. the director spends literally yeah. just shoots, not just literally, but, you know, they shoot the show and they maybe have a week in the edit and then they're out so we'll see but she's she's doing some amazing she's doing game of thrones the prequel so yes yeah so, i'm waiting for my phone to ring i was gonna say I, i'd be there sat next to <laughs> it going ring w <laughs> yeah yeah um, she's supposed to be doing a, a a on the movie side she's supposed to be doing a star trek sequel as well yeah if, well again watch this space guys yeah. you know <laughs> if, it, if it if it ever materializes because they can't get chris pine to do it at the moment so you know we'll see but that's it things will drag maybe drag on a bit yeah i can get a couple of movies under a couple more you know yeah and yeah. then you know maybe then i'll get picked yeah maybe that but then then you can get a chance to play around with the star trek theme that would be awesome <laughs> well jeff russo's done the star trek um, yes yes tv series so he's done fantastic yeah so you've got that as well to, yeah to compete with and, and you jeff, know. jeff did an amazing job with that as well oh he's a brilliant he's fantastic in terms of some of the other things i mean victoria when you're coming to a show like that which is is obviously a very different sort of soundscape to something like bodyguard yeah. how, how are you approaching the music for that do you go back looking at sort of music from the era when it's an actual historical drama sometimes not really to be honest with victoria i mean it was already um set up because martin phipps did the first episode and the theme tune so right. he established a bit of a an identity for it and then i had to obviously take it on a journey and i knew that we'd it needed an orchestra because it needed to feel epic and they weren't they didn't have the luxury of having lots of landscapes and exteriors it was um, a lot of very beautiful i don't know if you've seen the show but it's i've seen very opulent interiors a lot of the interiors but opulent um so it needed to have that sort of sense of scale i suppose yeah i do like looking back into and finding some nuggets in the classical music repertoire you know and then thinking like because on the last series victoria's sister pops up and i use a bit of vivaldi for inspiration for that Hmm. so you can take little bits and then sort of just do whatever you want with it really because it's it's up for grabs. He's been dead long enough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Should be giving away my secrets. Oh, it wasn't Vivaldi. <laughs> and you know, he got some modular synths in there as well because there was a revolution. Ah. And, um, yeah, got some toms, got some kick drums in there, and some. You know, my 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 husband's a bit of a modular synth nut, so he gets locked away 
until he made some <laughs> ear bleeding noise. <laughs> and then I kind of pull that in and go, oh, yeah, if we can get this in Victoria. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's going to be great. It's what <laughs> so you want. If you expect listening right now, they'll be like, hang on a minute. <laughs> where's, where's this noise? They probably think I've put it on the American episode, so they might not have seen. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh dear. So, um, speaking yeah. of things like modular synths and stuff, yeah. is there a particular odd instrument or thing that you've used to create a sound that's then ended up in one of your scores? Oh, so many. <laughs> yeah, I mean, bodyguard was a trombone, a flute, some tribal vocals, and synths. That's and a cello, a scratchy cello. That's what it is. Right. There's nothing else in it. Maybe a couple of piano notes. Yeah. There's nothing. It's all synths and, and trombones. There was a membrane flute with a cling film, a hole with a bit of cling film on it. Right, okay. I've never seen that before in my life. Interesting. It makes a really sort of distorted sound when you play it. Well, I didn't play it. I didn't <laughs> it, but... <laughs> And I just got him to, because I had the the theme was one of the first ideas that came about, which was this kind of like, what do you do to connect the idea of this terror and panic and this sort of, uh, actually, it's an action show. Uh, and then also this desire and weird relationship that David has with his, with the woman that he's protecting, which is quite sexy and compelling and out of control. And this sort of throbby sound, this synth sound, like the, the big kind of bass kick of the SH-101, basically. And then that's kind of what that kind of kicked it off. Like, And also something that's a bit not too serious, you know, a little bit like a, like a club or, you know. And then building up the sounds of just like, just throwing things in, just crazy vocals, a scream, you know, mm. just things like what is this guy's is going on in his head or this crazy stuff. And the, and the Thomas, um, the director, really loved creating some uh, all that kind of scratchy, strange, weird sounds. He was really into that. He really pushed that because initially I was thinking, oh, my God, this is a wall of noise. <laughs> you can get away with this. They're gonna... But they never wanted an orchestra. They didn't want it to be epic. They didn't want it to be, you know, we're trying to do James Bond here. Yeah. yeah. We want yeah. it to feel realistic because it's something that could happen to anyone being on a train and then there's a suicide bomber in the toilet and no one wants that mm. they didn't want to do it in a style that would be like oh we're watching an action film and we're going to be taken on a ride it's like no this i'm you want to be properly scared and i think that opening scene is terrifying you know and i think musically you almost don't notice well probably because it was mixed so quietly <laughs> <laughs> you sat there going turn me up <laughs> Turn it up. It's, it's quite I've spent ages on that. Yeah, but a lot longer than they spend on the sound. <laughs> oh, it's BBC. Yes, yes. I, I mean, it, it is such an amazing open scene that that i mean really quite phenomenal yeah and uh i, I mean we don't know whether they're actually gonna well i think they probably are going to do more bodyguard but i know that they've officially said exactly what they're doing yet so you know yeah jed's talking i just don't think he's written it yet no no i think it does <laughs> yeah it's, it's not like i've got ideas floating around but he's got a lot of stuff got an old line of duty to do hasn't he? yeah yeah it's like uh, he, he was he was kind of 
people were complaining last year because of the fact that, oh, what's this bodyguard thing that he's bringing out because it's getting in the way of him bringing back Line of Duty and Line of Duty fans so upset, then Bodyguard comes out. <laughs> like, yes. oh no, we've oh. got to wait for the next Line of Duty before Bodyguard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of I know, but it's only one of Jed. So. Yes, unfortunately, <laughs> he's he's only one genius instead of two. So. Uh, I don't to cope with two Jeds, though. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He knows what he likes. Yes. He's fantastic to work with. Which I love is, Jed's writing. Which is killing people and setting up most distinct... Yeah, doing the unexpected, you know. Yeah. People were desperate for Julia to come back, and she just didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And he won't bring her back in series two. You know, it's not yeah. like the Bobby in the shower scene. <laughs> Whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Speaking, speaking right. of Julia, actually, I mean, the other show that you were doing was the Durrells as well. You see, at this point, yeah. I think if you're kind of not doing anything, you know, there's no TV show on the horizon, you could just offer to follow Keely Halls around writing her life in music. Yeah. <laughs> I know every facial expression. <laughs> yeah. I think Achilles phenomenal. I mean, it's so brilliant to work on, you know, shows and yeah. meet her as well. And they were really close together because I saw her on the at the rap party for Durrells, the final one, and that bodyguard had just come out and she looked pretty wide-eyed. Uh, <laughs> the, the paps were outside the house, you know. Yeah. It was really intense. I think no one really was prepared for that. Yeah. So, uh, and it's and I think because I think I was doing bodyguard at the same time as one of the series for Durrells. So, but that's good because it's it's they're so different. You're not going to get <laughs> yeah <laughs> mixed yes. up. I, I would hope you're not going to get those mixed <laughs> up. That's to a get very from the bodyguard on the Durrells and just <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's going to sound like. <laughs> Yeah, that'll make them fall off their chairs. Yes, yeah, so it seems to be a sniper's loose on, on Corfu. Seems, you know, unlikely. <laughs> At times, there's, you know, well, the last series, it's the war is coming. Right, yeah. Um, but we tried doing a war theme, but um, Sally, the exec, like, oh, no, this is too gloomy. You know, <laughs> this isn't Daryl's. Um, yeah. So it's not it's not right. You know, you can have tension, but it's got to be done in that mandolin Greek way. Yeah, I was going to say, where, where does the inspiration for the Daryl's stuff come from? Is it is it sort of looking at Greek music and, and that sort of thing? And, or, or, A know, little so. bit. We looked at Rebetica and some of the Greek more traditional like Greek music as the series went along and they and they spent more time in Greece we thought we'd go deeper into the Greek world because it started off it's almost like they're a little bit not necessarily British but a bit more of a melting pot of styles and I was going with on the on the first um, series with more of a like gypsy folk I was really inspired by some of the stuff Sam Lee's been doing and that wild like the wild uh, something that sounds a bit wild and folky that's what it started off with. And then, and Greek choir, we had Greek choirs on it in the first series and, and some brilliant singers. The, so the end song was, I mean, that came together really, really quickly. But the tune is really, it's almost like a, a pop tune or something. I was trying to do something that was quite happy and we're so happy to be here. And, you know, just that, that naivety almost that they had in going there, but that they were really brave to go there as well. But they just didn't really think it through that they were going to be in this cold house with no electricity. Well, not cold, it's warm in Greece, but there's no electricity. Yeah. Quite different. Um, and then meeting Manos, the guy who sang the song and his wife, well, his ex-wife now, unfortunately, nothing to do with me, wrote the um, lyrics for it, um, which are beautiful for the end credits. And he sang it with some mates and it just 
it was sort of a mixture of the Greek and the British sort oh. of thing. But then as we went through, we used a bit more of the, like we've got a Greek children's choir on the last series, which is just really magical. There, we recorded them in a church in Corfu. Oh, cool. Just an excuse to go out. <laughs> <laughs> They're, um, they're amazing. And I use them in Victoria as well because they were so good. Oh, wow. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, so the bit of the Greek crept into Victoria along yeah. with the modular synths. Ah. I used to listen to it again and think, <laughs> they come in? <laughs> yeah, it must be so tempting. Like, you know what would be sound good here? A Jamaican choir <laughs> recorded in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> that would be really good. I've never recorded anything there. <laughs> Love to. Yeah, so somewhere you know, you know, I think this is this, the acoustics for this will be great in a vineyard in the south of France. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe we need we need to base everything around the location. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know what. Cool. Yeah, Scotland maybe. <laughs> Yeah. The latest yeah. thing I'm in, I'm up in Scotland. But yeah. that's beautiful too. Yes. Well, yeah. Scotland, Scotland is own, own beauty. It's just uh, not very warm. Not hot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, no, Corfu was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So what else have you got coming up? Then is there anything you can talk about? I'm working on a new Jane Austen adaptation oh, cool. called Sanderton. It's going to be on ITV, and it's really exciting because uh, we're not doing it in a traditional way. But it's not electric guitars or anything weird like that. It's, uh, you know, just unpalatable. It's kind of, it's, it's heavily folk influenced, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of got a bit of rock and roll going on, but that that could be plausible for the period. Um, so we've got citerns, Celtic harps, folk fiddles and cello. Um, but it's, it's a band, basically, that I've handpicked from the Highlands who are absolute superstars in how they play. So all the ball sequences are, they appear in them and, and it's wild. It's like a, it's like a kind of wild shindig. So it's, and, oh, that um, sounds awesome. And I use them in the score. So it's, so it's got this through line with the band playing the score and then they're in the ball sequences as well. So there's this kind of cohesion in the music. That's... And it's great. It's going to be a really sexy show. It's going to, hopefully going to come out in the autumn somehow. Where are we now? June. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I could see the colour draining from your face now. Never that one, yeah. In fact, playing it on Friday <laughs> to, uh, to the head of the company. So let's hope she likes it. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, that'll be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah, no, it's brilliant working with Ollie Blackburn, who I met on in Victoria. That's the thing when you're working on different shows and you meet different directors, and then they go on and do other shows that are completely different in style, um, but you get on with them. It, that's the thing. I love doing different styles, but it's not through choice particularly. It's because you gel, you have a chemistry with somebody and then they, you ha collaborate and you just make something that's right for the show. And it doesn't really matter if it's the, if it's crazy sense or it's pan pipe or it's, well, maybe not pan pipe actually. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got it's against a pan pipe? <laughs> you know, uh, out, the more out there, the better. It's just about finding what is uh, what's at the heart of the show. And yeah, Ollie just keeps sending me crazy references and that's awesome uh, from like the seventies, generally. Yeah. And, but but people who I absolutely love, like Morricone and Lalo Schifrin, and you know that sort of style of music. That it's just I just love films from that era because the scores are just completely yeah. 
out there, you know, it's all those Clint Eastwood films and it's just brilliant to do something like that, you know, that's really bold. So I guess that's the ambition for this Sanditon score is it's it's bold, you know? Mm, yeah, that sounds fascinating. Score that's just uh, gently massaging, you know, the scenes and just giving it a tone. It's smacking you around the face. Well, <laughs> Gently. <laughs> <laughs> Tapping you around the face. <laughs> Tapping you around the face. We'll see how loud the dubbing mixer mixes it, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that I am looking forward to. That sounds absolutely fascinating. I've, yeah, I really, I'm really yeah. interested to hear that. Yeah. There are, uh, and hopefully the Austin fans won't be too, mu- too up in arms because we've hidden some gems in there, some Austin classics, favourites in there. Cool. They may appear exactly as you've heard them before but they're in there so we haven't reinvented the wheel where they won't be it's it's not everything's done for a reason and we've thought a lot you know long and hard about the best way to sort of show this Uh, because it's not a place that that anyone's really seen before because it was an unfinished novel it was her last novel before she died so it's a bit racy for Jane Austen right Andrew Davis has made it even more racy, of course. <laughs> and, um, it's a seaside town and it's a bit like Vegas, you know, how, how that might have been if it was in Britain. Um, maybe not quite as wild as Vegas, but all the rich folk go down to Sanditon to get their kicks, you know. Right. And so a place where anything can happen and it, you go for the sea air, you go for health reasons, but you also go there to get drunk and have fun. Uh <laughs> And and the rich and the poor are mixing together, and there's all these relationships, and it's it's, it's fascinating. It's it's a really good fun story. So, yeah, well, that's, yeah, that sounds really, awesome. Really, to work on and I just finished recording with the band just just a few um three days up in Scotland and they rocked it so it's really cool. really exciting yeah that that I'm very much looking forward to that sounds fascinating um yeah. so last two questions first question is what tv shows are you watching at the moment oh god killing Eve. of course <laughs> god i love it so much it's just the best yes it's just oh hilarious brilliant music we binged it when we were in la a couple of weeks ago because it came out there first yeah yeah but i didn't watch the final two episodes so i was with my cousin sam my brilliant cousin and she uh i've got to get together with her so (laughs) we really need to see the final two episodes oh no and it's out so yes yes but yes i love i love that show because it's just i find it really empowering to watch it because the women in it are just so unapologetic about everything they do and they just do whatever they want which is i just find that inspiring i think the two main characters in it are just brilliant and the fashion in it is brilliant too. And last question, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, past, present, or something in the future, which show would it be? And it can't be one you've already worked on. Oh, well, I think it maybe, I know maybe I'd have to go back to, to the 70s and do one of those those cop shows from the 70s. Ah. Uh, maybe maybe Night Rider. Maybe I'd like to do that. Yes. Yeah, Night Rider. <laughs> and then Rider. you're fighting for something that's already un- so iconic, but... <laughs> Yeah, Street Hawk. Nobody, everybody remembers Street Hawk, but nobody remembers the name, the like music. 
So maybe, maybe do something that's not as so iconic, but yeah. has the same that same thing. That would be good. Manimal, even better. <laughs> Otherwise, you're watching. Oh no, it's the, the original was better. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's always the danger. But uh, yeah, or you- I love doing something really creepy like Le Revenant, something like that. Ah. That would be good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something really... Get like into the scary. horror. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I like scary stuff, and I haven't really done anything outright horror yet. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I suppose... Can that... you please offer me something like that, is listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A Don't Look Now type of um, series, you know? Yes, that that will be an interesting one to, for, for you to Not do. necessarily really gory, but um, sort of chilling and suspenseful. Yes. You if, know. if you don't do gore, you don't want to be scoring something like that, because you'll be, like, watching through your fingers. <laughs> like, but it's, a, it's creating the feeling of watching through your fingers, but there's nothing happening. Yeah. That's what I think would be really cool because the music is like in Psycho. Nothing's yes. happening for a lot of it, but the music makes you feel sick. Yeah. Know that he's going to kill her. You know, something's yeah. going to happen and you don't know when. And it's the music that's doing that. It's just working and working and relentlessly kind of teasing your subconscious, you know, tickling away and and mm. i think that's what it's really exciting to do is yeah nothing much is happening and then you've got to tell the story that was what's good about doing bodyguard is there are a lot of scenes with richard's face and him looking into who is julia and figuring out that he really can't stand the woman and then musically saying that like that realization sort of telling that story slowly that he really really can't stand her and the, and there was nothing else going on, and there's no talking, and that's what's <laughs> very <laughs> pleasurable to do, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're connecting with the audience on that level, you know. You're you've got that role to really connect with them. Yeah. And that's yeah. just, I think that's just thrilling. Awesome. Well, been fabulous. I've really enjoyed this. It's I've been really, really enjoyed talking to you. It's been really it's fun. Been great. Have a great day. Uh, it's been lovely to ha- to talk. Next time you have something come out, come back on, and we can talk about that again. Because oh, that'd uh, be I'd brilliant. Love yeah, so. love to do that. It'd Thanks. be wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, have a, have an awesome day yeah. and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers, Dave. Bye. See ya. So that was the interview with Ruth Barrett. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Bodyguard, of course, I think pretty much everybody who's going to see that has probably already seen it. I, I think it's on Netflix. It, it is. It may yeah. still be. Yes, it's on Netflix. And uh, I don't know whether it's still kicking around the iPlayer, but it is definitely on Netflix. It uh, should be. Collateral, <laughs> Collateral is worth looking up if you've uh, not seen that. Victoria, of course, on ITV and the Dorrells on ITV. Now we've got some highlights for next week on TV. <laughs> So highlights for next week. We have uh, For the People returning for its second and now last season. Uh, that's the Shondaland courtroom drama. Oh, I quite enjoyed it. Already? The, yes. Final season already? Well, yes. Okay. Uh, they, they announced that with Canned. Uh, that's coming to uh, Sky Witness on the 3rd of July at 10pm. Rare kind of misstep for that, that that gets cancelled, but um, For the mm. People is is coming back if you want to watch the second season of that. Uh, Legion back for its third and final season. That is on Fox on the 4th of July at 9pm. Happy Treason Day to uh, any Americans that are listening uh, for this week. (laughs) Ungrateful colonists. Uh, uh, So uh, that obviously sees uh, the Marvel X-Men character back. This season has Professor X showing up in it as well so it could be worth watching. Hopefully it's a little bit more coherent than the second second season because the second season really went off the rails. Uh, I mean mean, mean, it kind of has to be if it's the final season. They kind of have to bring everything to an end 
in then. Yes, it's uh, how they managed the to do it. Uh, right, yes, right. it's um, yeah. Second season got very very incoherent in places, and uh, first season handled it quite well. Second season not so much. So hopefully the third season pulls it back more to where the first season position was. Uh, but fourth of July on Fox at nine pm for that. Uh, Stranger Things back for its third season. That is also on the fourth of July. I'm very much looking forward to that because that's been a brilliant series throughout. Divorce, that is the Sarah Jessica Parker series. That's back for a third season on Sky Atlantic on the 8th of July. That's at 10 past 10. And uh, Last Man Standing, the uh, Tim Allen sitcom, that is returning to five star for its seventh season. That's on the 9th of July at 8pm. Didn't know whether we were going to get that back because it moved from ABC in the US to Fox. So we didn't oh, yes. know whether that was yeah. that was going to come back or not. And it's on five. So it's always a bit of a roll of the dice whether they pick something up again. But mm-hmm. uh, they have picked up the seventh season of that. That is coming 9th of July at 8pm on July 9th. So um, that's everything for this week. Unless you've got anything else you want to mention. Come on, follow me on Twitter at eTalkUK. That's where you can get updates of, of course, when things get posted and stuff. Classic reviews is on a break at the moment for for uh, the first half of season two i suppose and that will be back on the 21st of august i guess if you want a time for that it's at 1 p.m which is obviously very different to when these shows come back uh it's just because we still got iZombie zombie running and i want to sort of separate the two a bit but that's uh classic reviews at the moment etalk uk on twitter go follow matt oh and uh, go and check out bex as well she started twitch streaming live so uh keep an eye on trista bites that's uh, bites with a y because uh, mm-hmm. she started doing quite a lot of um live streaming on Twitch started off with a very funny Q&A last night and she's doing more stuff tonight and uh, there'll be more stuff going out throughout the uh, the next few weeks and months so uh, go and go and check that out for for her and go and subscribe to a Twitch feed obviously for us on geektown.co.uk you can uh, find all the latest news and air date information if you want to get in touch with your questions and comments email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk leave a message on the website post find us at geektown on Twitter on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash geek Town on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on Instagram at geektown UK. That is everything. We shall see you next week. Bye bye. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.